kind of like this one. Just testing out some new music, folks. Okay, so, tail it off. Thank you very much. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the second podcast in nine years of the Miller Frost Show. I am your host and America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual, a title no one will ever take from me, Miller Frost, here as always with white boy Malcolm X. How are you doing, sir? You seem, you seem for someone who failed at last week's mission, you seem rather upbeat. Uh, uh, well, no, I'm, I'm doing fine, and no, I have, no, I have not watched that yet. Uh, white boy Malcolm X, ladies and gentlemen, he is a... Uh, he is obsessed with this Zach Efron show on Netflix, who I guess Zach has has lost his other body and now has what they call a dad bod. But I have not watched the show. I don't really care to watch the show. I It is not in my queue. I did watch The Tiger Queen, Tiger King, whatever they call it. I did watch that. That was a dumpster fire. But I am not watching Zach Efron with a dad bod on Netflix. Not going to do it. So... We do have a couple of uh, show updates for you. Uh, first is, we could not find any information on U.S.-funded Tunisian LGBT soap operas. None. White Boy Malcolm X was tasked with this last week after we talked about it, and he failed to find anything about it. I was hoping to watch a U.S.-funded Tunisian LGBT soap opera, but we do not have any information. And if you're not sure what that is, you just got to download last week's podcast. And listen, all of it is there, I promise. The second update, we do have one more update. White Boy Malcolm X, I think I'm going to make Ellen DeGeneres this show's official mean girl. You you have failed anyway, and I think she's a lot better at it. She's apparently been doing this for over 40 years. This is a uh, New York Post page six story. Listen to this. Louisiana man claims Ellen DeGeneres bullied him as an 11-year-old. And we did talk about this last week, about how she was a mean girl and she got caught and all the other mean girls are turning on her. You know, no big surprise there. But apparently this has been going on for quite some time now. Louisiana man Ben Gravelet claims DeGeneres' cruel behavior goes all the way back to when she worked at his mother's New Orleans recruitment agency in the late 1970s, Daily Mail reported on Thursday. She would criticize my weight, Gravelet, now a 52-year-old father of three and vice president of a New Orleans marketing agency, told Daily Mail TV, the UK paper's American show. I would try to do homework in the office. She'd call me stupid. She'd call me fat. She would criticize my clothes. Now, you know what she sounds like, white boy Malcolm X? She sounds like, to me, she sounds like a bitchy gay man. I mean, who else would call you fat and stupid and criticize your clothes? And I used to live in L.A. I lived in L.A. for, what, four, five years-ish? I know tons of bitchy L.A. queens, even the ones I don't want to know. I still know them. And that's exactly what, can you see here? You're just, you're fat and you're stupid and your clothes are tacky. So that's Ellen DeGeneres. She is our official, she's our official mean girl. I do have three piles for you, maybe four. No, I got the fluff pile. I got the gay pile. I've got the local pile. I've got the, the racism pile, which is going to get me in trouble. And I got the regular pile. So which, well, I'm not going to the gay pile. I'm going to do the regular pile. I'll think about it after this. So I, I saw this article and it's from Fast Company. And it was just one of these typical, I read it. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, here we go again. So the title is, Find Out If Your 401k Is Paying for the Prison Industrial Complex. If you have a 401k, there's a good chance that it's invested in private prisons or the companies that support them. A new tool, prison-free funds, will help you find out if that's the case and then switch to a different mutual fund. You know, I actually woke up this morning and was like, hmm, I wonder if there are prison, prison funds in my 401k. No, I didn't. The prison industrial complex has kind of crept into our economy and has become part and parcel of the economy, says Andy Bahar, CEO of As You Sow, the nonprofit that built the new platform, the seventh in a series of tools for investors. And so people don't realize what's inside their 401k. Without the platform, the information would be difficult to find. You basically would need a Bloomberg terminal and weeks to figure it out, he says. As You Sow partnered with American Friends Service Committee which sounds like a communist committee to me, which collects detailed data about all companies involved with the prison system, from phone services providers to bail bond insurers, 
and then built the platform to make it easy to access. Investors can now use the tool in combination with the nonprofit's existing tools, which screen for issues like deforestation and gender equality, along with financial performance, because they go hand in hand. We built these systems because nobody knew what was in their 401k, and the economic system, no doubt built by Republicans, is built to hide it, says Bahar. We believe in transparency. I mean, who thinks like this? Seriously, who wakes up one day and is like, hmm, I wonder if the prison industrial complex is a, has infested my 401k. And so I'm like, what is driving these people to do something like this? And then I saw this article from Fox News, and it all made perfect sense to me. I don't even have to read the article. I'm just going to read you the headline. Private prisons bankrolling Trump campaign as election looms. CoreCivic and GEO Group made about $1.3 billion under contracts with Immigration and Customs Enforcement last year. So there you go. They figured out how can we get at Donald Trump's supporters. And that's what they're doing. They're just going to try to bankrupt them that way, get them thrown out of all the, 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 the mutual funds and people's 401ks. I do have some coronavirus news. So we did report... It was kind of an, I think it was an accident on the part of the New York Times, who likes to blame Trump for everything. But they were reporting that in Melbourne they were having to kind of shut things down again because there's a new there's a new pop up in, in cases. And so I do have a Wall Street Journal story: coronavirus is back in New Zealand after 102 days. So I'm like, is Trump down in Australia? Is he is he in is he in New Zealand? I don't know, but apparently it's popping up and and he's not around. That I think. There is another story, and it's from the week. Mexico's coronavirus outbreak is now the third worst in the world. We can st we can probably blame that on Trump because he's probably just hurling that virus over the wall and getting the Mexicans invested. So we will blame that one on 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 Trump. I got a couple more coronavirus. I don't want to read that one. Oh, white boy Mecca Mex. I got another. So this is yes, this is a coronavirus story, but this is a good one. This goes back to the pissing contest of victimhood, which we talked about extensively on last week's podcast. And if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, well, you should download it. Pandemic has driven Americans to depression and drinking, CDC says. And this is from Yahoo News. The coronavirus pandemic has led to a marked deterioration in Americans' mental health, according to the new Centers for Disease Control and Prevention study made public on Thursday. That study, which surveyed 5,412 Americans, found that 40.9% of respondents reported at least one adverse mental or behavioral health condition. According to the new study, 31% of respondents were suffering from symptoms of anxiety or depression, 26% experienced symptoms of traumatic disorder, 13% were using drugs or alcohol more heavily, or for the first time, to cope with the pandemic, and 11% had seriously contemplated suicide. I think, I think those numbers are low. Just off the top of my head, I just think they're low. But here's where we get to the pissing contest, the victimhood. Younger adults, which are our, our dearly beloved millennials and, and Gen Z folks, younger adults, racial and ethnic minorities, essential workers, the poor, and unpaid adult caregivers reported having experienced, uh, it's my favorite word, white boy Malcolm X, disproportionately worse mental health outcomes than other groups, the study concluded. Even worse, people of color have suffered, again, disproportionately from the pandemic in terms of infection rate. And I'm not laughing at people for suffering through this, and I'm not laughing at people for, you know, being at more at risk for this disease. I'm just kind of laughing at this word, disproportionately, is the most abused word in the leftist media right now, other than the capital B in the word black. I mean, we had this last week. We talked a couple. We had a couple stories. We had the New York Times story: coronavirus economy especially harsh for transgender people, which means they were disproportionately affected. You had something from Pick News: queer Black Americans have taken a disproportionate financial hit during COVID nineteen by every measure. So you've got it's it's this nonstop race to the bottom about who is the most victimized by this thing. And depending on what article you read, I, I don't know. I can't tell. You know, it's like it's the poor, it's the young, it's the minorities, it's everyone. But they all can't be equally disproportionately affected. So someone's got, here's got to figure this out. Well, I've got two more COVID stories and I'm done with this. How's that sound, White Boy Malcolm X? Here's one. 
DNYUZ has reported, and here's their headline, in the wake of the COVID-19 lockdowns, a troubling surge in homicides. And I'm going to jump down just a hair. Across 20 major cities, the murder rate at the end of June was on average 37% higher than it was across the end of May, according to Richard Rosenfield, a criminologist at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. The increase over the same period a year ago was just 6%. In few places has the bloodshed been more devastating than Kansas City, where the city is on pace to shatter its record for homicides in a year. Quick quiz, White Boy Malcolm X. Exactly. Kansas City has been disproportionately affected by homicides. But let's face it, this article, I mean, the police are racist pigs. We know that. But I tell you what, you read something like this, people are just batshit crazy these days. We did check off the uh, uh, the curse box, right, when we upload this podcast. Yeah. No, seriously, people are just going batshit crazy. I read you all those mask stories last week, the headlines from those. Here, I got some more headlines for you. This is from The Smoking Gun. Defendant 40, now on ice after confrontation at 7-Eleven store. Video shows furious man slapping Burger King employee in the face. Fight breaks out on flight to Ibiza between drunk, maskless passengers. The Aryan nation will rule the world. White supremacist goes berserk in Florida restaurant. Man's puppy stolen at gunpoint in Atlanta Park. I mean, seriously, folks, people are batshit crazy today. Okay, I've got one more COVID story, and then I'm done. I promise you. Then we've got gay or racist. So I'm not, I'm not sure which one to pick first. This is a, another story from Fast Company. Americans laid off due to COVID-19 want to know how landlords expect them to pay. We asked some. With many workplaces still closed, hundreds of thousands of jobs already lost, and the $600 unemployment benefit over for now, tens of millions of renters across the country are trying to do the impossible math of paying rent despite the income disappearing into the pandemic. Americans barely had savings before COVID-19 hit. For someone who lost their job because of the COVID-19 crisis and now has to pay $1,200 in rent when they're getting less than $300 a week on unemployment, what does their landlord honestly expect them to do, especially when it's a problem hitting so many millions of tenants at the same time through no fault of their own? In many cases, we've been encouraging our owners to work out payment plans, says Jay Martin, executive director of the Community Housing Improvement Program, CHIP, a New York City trade organization that advocates on behalf of primarily small building owners. A tenant who's willing to pay half the rent is better than no tenant not paying any money, he says. A wave of evictions would hurt landlords, too. With vacancy rates already up and rent prices down in New York City, there's no guarantee a landlord would find a new tenant. So we did talk about last week. What's interesting with this is someone's got to pay for this, right? Because there are all these advocates going around talking about free rent, free rent, free rent. But landlords have mortgages. A lot of them have mortgages. So who's going to pay the mortgage? So no one can pay the rent. Then the landlord can't pay the mortgage. Then the the bank, well, you know, banks are evil. We all know that. But then the bank has got a, a ton of defaulting loans. And what's everyone's response to this is where's the federal government? Folks, the federal government has no money. And I'm not even talking about the $30 trillion in debt that we talked about last week. The federal government has no money. It prints money or it takes it from you and me. And this, so this, it's kind of Pollyannish idea that we're just going to just start printing money to pay tenants so they can pay their landlords. So the landlords can pay their property taxes. Poor New York City with that. And so then the banks get money and the city gets money and the state gets money and everyone gets money. But where they get it from? The federal government. Where does the federal government get it from? It prints it or it's just going to raise taxes. So you can get your, your $600 extra a, a week or whatever in unemployment, but at some point the bill's going to come due. So don't complain when your taxes go up because everyone's screaming about free money here, free money there, and there's no, <laughs> there is no money. So I don't know what people are are hoping or dreaming for, but you know the the piper will have to be paid at some point. Okay, white boy Malcolm X, racist <laughs> or gay? You want me to get in trouble? So let's do racist. Okay, here's the first story, and we should. We should you and I really missed the boat on this one. We really should have gone to to Portland to help burn that place down. Arrested Portland protesters won't face charges under revised policy. Hundreds of protesters in Portland, this is a Fox News story, by the way. Hundreds of protesters in Portland who were arrested, and no, this is not Portland, Maine, white boy Malcolm X, do not, <laughs> they were not rioting in Portland, Maine. I promise you that. 
Hundreds of protesters in Portland who were arrested in the past 80 days of demonstrations will not face it. Wait, they don't talk about the fires and the burning and the looting? No, 80 days of demonstrations. And this is Fox News. I, I expect this on CNN, which is basically unreadable and unwatchable. But I'm a little shocked with Fox News talking about just demonstrations and not talk about the rioting and the murdering and the looting and all the other fun stuff they're doing there. You know, attacking the police. They blinded a couple of police officers. They're not talking about that. There's 80 days of demonstrations, and they will not face any charges. Multnomah County District Attorney Mike Schmidt announced Tuesday. And if it's not Multnomah County, I apologize. The, oh, this, is, this is from Mike. The protesters are angry and deeply frustrated with what they perceive to be structural inequalities in our basic social fabric. And this frustration can escalate to levels that violate the law, Schmidt said. This policy acknowledges that centuries of disparate treatment, there's the word again, of our black and brown communities have left deep wounds and that the healing process will not be easy or quick. The policy drops charges against people who are arrested for interfering with a peace officer or parole and probation officer, all of whom are racist pigs, and we know that for a fact, disorderly conduct, criminal trespass, escaped harassment and riot, unless they were accompanied by some other charge of physical violence or property damage. Not that we care, but I wonder how many police officers have been injured in office. We don't care. We don't care about that. But we could have gotten out of that scot-free white boy Malcolm X. Heading just up north, this is a New York Post article. Seattle BLM protesters demand white people give up their homes. Great Caesar's ghost. A group of Black Lives Matter protesters in Seattle marched through a residential neighborhood this week demanding that white residents give up their homes. Dramatic video shows. Footage of the Wednesday demonstrations posted to Twitter that cesspool show a crowd of dozens chanting Black Lives Matter before an unidentified man projects his ire towards nearby white residents. And yes, the B in black is capitalized and the W in white is lowercase, saying they are living in a historically black section of the city as another woman in the crowd yells that they should give up their homes, the clip shows. Do you know that before your white ass came here, <laughs> this was all black. Can you imagine... If someone, a white person, before your black ass came here, racist, 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 they'd be screaming their asses off. Anyway, do you know that before your white ass came here, this was all black people, the man said. Do you know people like you came in here and basically bought all the land from the black people for less than what it was worth? Kick them out so you could live here. Do you know that? The man continues. Because if you don't, now you effing do. And he did not use the just the letter F. He said the whole thing. Now do something about it. Another woman in the crowd then urged residents to open their wallet as the man continues to yell at the unidentified residents off camera. So how do you plan to fix it? I like this guy. This guy is a this guy is a piss riot. So how do you plan to fix it? The man says as a gentrifier because you are part of that problem. Can you imagine these poor white liberals? Do you know who goes into these neighborhoods? When I was living in Atlanta back in I would say the the mid nineties uh, when I moved in. Atlanta, I lived in Atlanta from 93 to 97, and this was, a, this was going on in, in Decatur, uh, in DeKalb County, uh, just to the east of Atlanta. And it was a lot of gays and lesbians going into these neighborhoods. So I wonder if that's the same thing here. Can you imagine all these queens? Now, I know the black man was not yelling at any lesbian, because lesbian would just go down there and beat his ass and send him back to wherever the hell he's living now. He was probably yelling at, at the queens, who are ready, no doubt, to self-flagellate like a lot of them do. I mean, we had, last week we had, where's that article? We had J. Eric Fisher from this article on, on Lancaster Online, who is as big a pajama boy as ever, who clearly read White Fragility, throwing the LGBTQ community under the bus because they stole pride from the black freedom movement. So if it's a bunch of queens sitting around, they probably will give up their houses. They're like, oh, I shouldn't have stolen this house and spent all, shouldn't have bought that house for cheap and then fixed it up and spent all that time and money fixing it because I just stole it from a black person. Oh, I better get out of the house and better get out of the neighbor. Let's, let's go, Bruce. Let's pack up the car and go. That's what they're going to do. I, I have no doubt some of those stupid white people are going to give their houses back up. Do you ever, White Boy Malcolm X, I, I, I've actually lived in Chicago twice. And so it, it's funny for me, and I don't, I don't know about you or, or the listeners here. Whenever I've lived, I've lived in a lot of different cities over my adult life. And every time I live in one, 
I, I just like to keep up with it. And Chicago is one of those cities. I've lived there twice. I lived there 97 and 99. And I moved back in 2009. I was there about a year, 2010. I was finishing up my second undergrad. Long story. But I, I just keep up with, I just keep up with Chicago news. It's like, for me, it's like New York. I've actually never lived in New York, but I, I grew up there going in as a child. I, I've got, I've been in there dozens of times and I couldn't tell you how many times. I was thinking about moving there about, about two, three years ago. I was thinking about going down there, but thank God I didn't go down there. But this is a, this is from the New York Post. It's a, about Chicago. Looters, vandals sweep through Chicago's Magnificent Mile after police shooting. And if you've never been to Chicago's Magnificent Mile, I, well, it's probably cleaned out now, but it's, it's a great experience just to, Chicago's one of those cities, I never liked living there, but to, to, to go there and visit, I really enjoy it. And you stay downtown, you can walk Magnificent Mile, it's got a lot of shopping and restaurants, and, and it's right there on the, on the lakefront. It's just a beautiful area. They've got really good museums. It's one of those you get in and you get out, but you don't, you don't stay around clearly, especially now. Now you've got the COVID and now you've got, you know, Chicago's getting, they're, they're in this pissing contest with New York about who can be the, just, just the, the fastest race to the bottom and the crappiest town and, and, and bulldozing what, what was ever there in the first place. Looters, vandals sweep through Chicago's magnificent mile after police shooting. Hours after Chicago police shot a young man who turned and fired at them, hundreds of people went on a looting and vandalism spree in various parts of the Windy City early Monday, according to reports. The mayhem began about 2.30 p.m. Sunday when cops responded to reports of a man with a gun in the Inglewood neighborhood on the south side and located a person who fit the description near Moran Park, the Chicago Tribune reported. While running away from police, the suspect turned around and fired at them. The officers returned fired, wounded the gunman, who was transported to the University of Chicago Hospital in unknown condition, according to the newspaper. So the police, who are all racist pigs, shot at a man who shot at them first, but that still doesn't matter. They shouldn't be shooting at anyone. If, if a black man wants to shoot at you, you got to take it. You can't shoot back, which caused the looting. The looters and vandals rushed through the city's magnificent mile and other parts of downtown where they were seen carrying bags full of stolen goods, the Tribune reported. So a man shoots the police, and that's riding time. Speaking of Chicago, Black Lives Matter holds rally in Chicago to support those arrested after looting unrest. So in Chicago, a black man fires a gun at those racist pig police officers. They shoot back and hit him. He clearly missed. They hit him, and so everyone gets on the gets on the L and goes into town and just runs up and down a magnificent mile, looting and having a grand old time. And I guess some of them got arrested. So Black Lives Matter is like, you can't. They're having they're the vapors. We can't have that. They can't have that. If they if they riot and they loot, it's it's not their fault. It's the police's fault. So they held a rally. Black Lives Matter members in Chicago held a rally on Monday to support the more than 100 arrested last night following widespread looting and rioting that caused at least $60 million in property damage and saw 13 racist police officers injured, according to the report. The rally was organized by Black Lives Matter Chicago and was held at a police station in the South Loop where organizers say individuals are currently being held in custody. At least one organizer called the looting tantamount to reparations. I don't care if someone decides to loot a Gucci's or a Macy's or a Nike store because that makes sure that person eats, said Ariel Atkins, a BLM organizer, according to NBC Chicago. That makes sure that person has clothes. That is reparations, Atkins continued. Anything they wanted to take, they can take it because these businesses have insurance. <laughs> oh, mercy. And to add insult to injury, listen to this one, white boy Malcolm X. Support for a program to pay reparations to descendants of slaves is gaining momentum, but could come with a $12 trillion price tag. <laughs> it's, all just, it's all just fun money at this point anyway. Print away. This is from CNBC. Reparations for slavery have been fiercely discussed in the United States since Union Army General William Tecumseh Sherman promised 40 acres and a mule to 40 million freed slaves in 1865. While Americans don't generally support a reparations program paid by taxpayers because they're racist, this summer's events have shifted the once-overlooked topic into the national debate. 142 members of Congress have co-sponsored H.R. 40, 
the Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act, compared with only two in 2014. Even Joe Biden, the presumptive 2020 Democratic presidential nominee, has said he supports the study, representing a change on the issue. Whatever it takes to get the vote. William Darity, professor of public policy at Duke University, has studied the rationale and design of reparations for more than 30 years. Well, that's a great life goal, isn't it? He says, The present moment seems to afford more of an opportunity to move forward than any moment I've experienced in my lifetime. Here comes the cost. This spring, Darity and his wife, Kirsten Mullen, made the most comprehensive case for a reparations program in their latest book, From Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century. They argue a meaningful program to eliminate the existing black-white wealth gap requires an allocation of between $10 trillion and $12 trillion, or about $800,000 to each eligible black household. I have a question for you. Even if that's fair, $800,000, I say, okay, we're already printing enough money that it doesn't really matter at this point anyway. Let's just keep it. We're going to give $800,000 to each eligible black household and however you want to define household. So $800,000 a person, I don't really care. The question I have is, do we get like a credit for the things that people looted because they were getting an advancement on their reparation? I mean, if, if Ariel Atkins, the, that Black Lives person in, in Chicago, can talk about people get to take Gucci's and Macy's and Nike's and they get to do that because... It's reparations. Now, do we get a credit back? So if someone went to Best Buy and stole a television, they went to Gucci and got a couple purses, they went down to Macy's and got some un- new underwear, do we get to deduct that from the 800000 Or is that $800,000 on top of everything that you could steal uh, before the check went out? One more, White Boy Malcolm X, and then we're getting to the gay stories. Want more diversity in camping? Start with the gear. In May, Mo Jackson, and this is from the LA Times, So you already know what you're going to get with this. Are you ready? In May, Mo Jackson was camping with a friend in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I actually, I don't know if I should tell that story. It does involve crystal meth. Not on me. I I don't do that stuff, but I do. (laughs) I knew someone in LA years ago who was a crystal meth addict and went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to get away from it. And apparently Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is like the land of trailer parks and crystal meth. (laughs) So I shouldn't laugh. My ex was a meth addict and it was a dumpster fire from hell. The last six months of our relationship, I I guess I kind of learned to laugh at it. But the last place I would run if I were a crystal meth addict would be from Los Angeles to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. But he did. And you can you know how that story turned out. Anyway, in May, Mo Jackson was camping with a friend in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I hope Mo was not doing crystal meth. They woke up at five to start a fire. No. She was not doing crystal meth because she would only be awake at 5 o'clock. She'd be awake for three days. So they woke up at 5 to start a fire, make breakfast, and in the midst of a pandemic, experience the peace that comes with an early morning in a secluded spot. The beauty of that morning moved Jackson to tears. I had the most clarifying moment. You know, I just thought, I wish everyone could feel this. Jackson realized that, although they could not help everyone feel more connected to nature, They could get a few more people outside by offering free camping gear. That day I was like, what can I do to get more black people outdoors? (laughs) And I thought, well, I have enough savings to get three camping kids together. On May 19th, no, white boy Malcolm X, don't say riot and loot the REI. That's just rude. On May 19th, Jackson posted on Instagram asking if any people of color wanted a free camping get. I wonder if Kamala Harris took one because she is a person of color. We know that because that's why creepy Uncle Joe chose her. Different story. Continuing on. No need to demonstrate need or anything, Jackson wrote. Just ask and we can get something out to you. And I think that was a nice story, don't you? Yes, I'm getting to that. I told you folks, it's an LA Times story. Segregation on public lands. <laughs> camping is often called... I could love these people... Camping is often called America's favorite outdoor activity. This summer, when many travel options have been eliminated, the go-to vacation has been camping or renting an RV and visiting public lands. But camping in national parks have a complicated past when it comes to racial equality and equal access for all. National parks have a history of segregation that dates to the 1930s, something that didn't change until the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which was over 50 years ago. 
Almost all U.S. national parks were originally home to indigenous populations. And yes, the I in indigenous is capitalized, just like the B in black. Let's start that again. Almost all U.S. national parks were originally home to indigenous populations long before they were set aside as parks. Many of those Native American tribes were pushed off their land, often violently, to create an illusion of untouched landscapes. Even the Sierra Club, for the first time in July, openly condemned its founder, John Muir, over racist comments in his writings about black and indigenous people. The years of segregation, racism, displacement continued to define national parks and other public lands as predominantly white spaces. <laughs> I, the only reason I'm laughing at this is this kind of this quota. When I lived in Colorado, White Boy Magamax, you were there. Those ski resorts are as lily white as you can get. And I'm not talking about the snow. It just, it's a, it's a predominantly white sport. It's like hockey, right? And Instead of like forcing black people and Latino people to go camping, it's like, okay, you like what you like and you call it a day. To me, I, I just think I hate camping. I mean, camping sucks. I always say camping for me is like going to a Four Seasons in a, in a, in a resort. I just think black and Latinos are smarter about this. They don't want to go camping because they know it's just, it's a mess. You got to like pee in the woods and whatever in the woods and you got to cook your own food and you're sitting around a campfire half the time there's not internet service you're sleeping in a tent you're dealing with bugs and they're just smarter about it and they're like i don't want to deal with this crap i'm not going to go but now they're going to be like not forced to go but they're going to be pressured to go because you got to have more diversity in in these predominantly racist parks that the white people throw all the indigenous people out they won't let the black people in and now they can come in, but guess what? They're not coming in, not because they're still feeling excluded. They're just smart about it. They're smarter than the rest of us. Okay, give me the gay pile. Okay, this one. Here you go, White Boy Malcolm X. You asked for this. This is from the New York Post. Oh, God, how do I even start this? Okay, I'm just going to read the headline. More companies are adopting paid menstrual leave policies. No, the, the, the word menstrual is not capitalized. Uh, it, it will be eventually, trust me. And, and this has nothing to do with J.K. Rowling. I'm not even going there. More companies have, well, I am, but just wait for it. More companies have recently come out on the side of workplace gender equality, with many announcing a policy to allow women and transgender people paid sick leave for period symptoms. Going forward, women at Zomato can avail up to 10 period leaves in a year. This also applies to transgender people working at Zomato, the company said on the cesspool Twitter last week. The move to allow up to two work weeks of period leave per year was made in the spirit of quote-unquote truth and acceptance. The Indian food and dining platform, there you go, that's what it is, an Indian food and dining platform stated on its website blog. This is a part of life, and while we don't understand what women go through, we need to trust them when they need to rest this out, wrote D-Binder Goyle. Zomato, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not, not mispronouncing it on purpose. Uh, Deepender Goyal, Zomato's founder and CEO. I know that menstrual cramps are very painful for a lot of women, and we have to support them uh, through it if we want to build a truly collaborative culture at Zomato. Most women in the U.S. will experience some 450 periods. Yes, white boy, but this is part of the gay news. Just stop. Just behave. Most women in the U.S. will experience some 450 periods in their lifetime. That's between 1,350 and 2,250 or so days of uncomfortable and often painful symptoms, such as abdominal cramps, which range from mild to debilitating, lower back pain, diarrhea and constipation, sore breasts, headaches, skin breakouts, bloating, fatigue, mood swings, yes, that they have, and poor sleep, sometimes all at once, exclamation point. This is in the New York Post. This is not the National Enquirer. Adding insult to injury, menstruation has been the source of misogynistic stigma for many thousands of years, despite the fact that it's fundamental to life itself. Even today, nearly half of women will experience period shaming at some... Shame! Shame on you for having your period. Period shaming at some point in their lifetime. Some have lost their jobs over it, which is not actually not funny which is tragic considering the high cost of female hygiene products all designed to mitigate pain and embarrassment. What about what about using sick time? I mean, why do you can you imagine being in the poor can you imagine being the, the HR director over here at Zomato and you've got some woman, "Hi, I'm using my paid menstrual leave today." <laughs> and he's like, 
uh, or she, whoever, okay, I'll mark you down for one day, as opposed to, hey, I'm just taking a sick day. I mean, why, what is it about this that they have to like, I'm taking paid menstrual leave instead of saying, okay, we're not going to give you 10 sick days. We'll give you 15 sick days. We'll give you 20 sick days. You can take it for, you can take it for menstruation. You can take it for migraines. You can take it for whatever the hell you want to take it. But, but this, this notion about having paid menstrual leave for, for women and men who are transitioning, transitional men. The other question I have is if it's a transgender woman, are they allowed to take menstrual leave if they want to have a fake menstrual period? I get it. It's it's a part of life. I just cannot believe that it's in a newspaper article. Like and and anyway, no period shaming here. I get it. I totally get it. Here you go, white boy Malcolm X. This is the headline. There isn't a single openly trans or non-binary voice at the top of UK politics, but this Green Party activist wants to change all that for the first time. And this is from Pink News, so you know what you're going to get again. For the first time in British history, an openly non-binary person is campaigning for the leadership of a UK political party. Tom Pashby, a writer and veteran activist who stood to be an MP in the 2017 and 2019 general elections, launched their historic bid for... Oh, yes, yes. It's one of these types. The, 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 the pronoun people. I, I hate these pronouns. To me, it is absolutely incredibly self-centered that you're going to declare your own special pronouns for yourself. And then you expect everyone around you, the world to revolve around you and your pronouns. Because if you don't say they and them and their, they lose their minds. And we talked last week about how the transgenders went after J.K. Rowling about menstruation, which we did not mention in the paid menstrual leave story. But with this one, if you don't use the proper pronouns, these non-binary people also lose their minds. So we do not want the Twitter rage monkeys getting upset. As the leadership election opened this week, they told Pink News that people should vote for them as a clear green left voice for the party. Pashby, who at 28 would also be one of the youngest deputy leaders of any political party in the UK, added that a vote for them is a vote, quote, to rebuild our credibility with the trans and non-binary community, unquote. We are a left-wing party, but I think our messaging has become muddled over the past four years, and now we should take the opportunity to win back members and voters who are disillusioned under Starmer's labor, they said. Although the government's 2008... This is where it gets good, white boy, Michael Max. Although the government's 2018 survey of 108,100 LGBT plus people found that 6.9% of the community are non-binary, there has never been an openly non-binary MP let alone non-binary person at the top of a British political party. In comparison, this is where it gets good, there are 45 lesbian, gay, bi, or pan MPs, almost all of them <gasps> cis gay men, of which there are 19 in the Conservative Party alone, making the UK's parliament the gayest in the world. <laughs> so, I've, you know what? Fine, Tom. I, you know what? Best of luck to you. I hope you win. It's the Green Party. Good luck to you. I just, what I don't want for you, Tom, is I do not want you to turn into Brian Sims, who was Pennsylvania's first openly gay House representative. And if you don't know who Brian Sims is, number one, you should download last week's podcast. But number two, he is a bitchy queen. He went after Tom Mert, who was a Pennsylvania House Republican from Montgomery County in Pennsylvania. All Tom Mert did was put together with the Pennsylvania Capitol star called a broadly progressive bill. And, and Brian Sims had himself a meltdown because he was like, you're not muscling it on my territory. So the Democrat, Brian Sims, Pennsylvania's first openly gay House representative, allegedly told Mert that he would ruin him and that he was finished and that he would get him for this for putting in a bill that stepped on his toes. And then Sims you know, kept it up with an quote-unquote angry, enraged, and wrathful text message to Mert. So, Tom, best of luck to you, you know, if you want to do that, good luck to you, but please do not turn into bitchy queen Brian Sims, Pennsylvania's first openly gay house representative. Yes, I'm getting to Captain Kirk. This is an advocate story. Poor Captain Kirk. We love William Shatner here. I'm a, I'm a huge Trekkie. So I'm, I do not want to think of, of William Shatner as, as a homophobe. But let's dig into this first. William Shatner tweets, Cisgender is used to debase, harass him. 
Over the weekend, Star Trek luminary William Shatner went on a tear about the word cisgender, claiming that it's only used in reference to him in order to harass or debase him. And when activists tried to call him out for co-opting the word for nefarious purposes, he dug in his heels with a straight white cis male victim narrative. Shatner began to rail against the word last Monday when someone jokingly tweeted at him, you're an old white man, so you must be a hateful bigot is the new bigotry the kids are all about these days. I guess that's like a, a, a play on okay boomer, but kind of calling you a bigot too. Like it's like a, you're a bigot or a racist, okay racist boomer. I guess that's what you're supposed to say. You forgot cis as an old white cis man. Need to stay current, Shatner responded, referring to the word that simply means denoting or related to a person whose self-identity conforms with the gender that corresponds to their biological sex not transgender. Once he threw down the verbal gauntlet cis, Shatner hunkered down on Twitter to argue with activists and well-meaning users who attempted to teach him that the word is not offensive. Responding to writer Dawn Enos's piece for Forbes, in which she chronicled Shatner's aversion to being called cis, he accused her of harassing him as he conflated gender identity with sexual identity. Despite an attempt to clarify for Shatner that cis is merely the opposite of trans and in no way a slur, oh, bullshit. We did check off the profanity box, right? That is total bullshit. You know, whenever a transgender wants to get snitty with a non-transgender, they throw that cis in there with a little bit of a, too much of a sneer. Oh, you're just a, a cis white man. It can absolutely be used as a slur. So don't tell me this. Oh, we're all innocent BS. So let me finish this again. Despite an attempt to clarify for Shatner that cis is merely the opposite of trans and in no way a slur, lie, he continued to exclaim that he's victimized by its use in reference to him. Absolutely. So poor Captain Kirk, we love you here at the Miller Frost Show, but that is why I am America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual. Yes, one more advocate article, and then I'm going to put this, this rag away. Biden, Harris, shout out to LGBTQ plus Americans in joint appearance. Joe Biden hailed his running mate, Kamala Harris, as a pioneer in marriage equality, and she gave a shout-out to LGBTQ plus people today in their first public appearance together since Biden announced his choice of Harris Tuesday. I picked the right person to join me, Biden said of Harris, noting that his campaign set a single-day fundraising record Tuesday. He praised Harris's experience, including her record as Attorney General of California, noting that she was a pioneer in marriage equality in the state. As AG, Harris refused to defend Proposition 8, which temporarily revoked marriage equality in the state when voters passed it in 2008. I was there when that happened. Oh, what a mess. It was struck down for good by the U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2013. She has supported LGBTQ rights in general in many other instances as well as California AG, San Francisco District Attorney, and U.S. Senator from California. So there you go. They want the checkbooks open, Queens. Open your checkbooks. Okay, this is a local story, but it's also a gay story, white boy Malcolm X, so it's a twofer. University of Massachusetts investigates allegations of sexual impropriety against Holyoke Mayor Alex Morris. Alex Morris, 31, is the youngest and first openly gay mayor of Holyoke. And if you've never been to Holyoke, I won't say anything. This is from the Washington Post. The University of Massachusetts is launching an investigation into allegations that Alex Morris, a local mayor challenging Representative Richard Neal, D. Massachusetts, in a primary next month, had sexual relationships with students while teaching courses at the institution. Morris, who is the mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts, and taught a political science course at the university for several years, was accused by three groups of college Democrats. Wait, three? How many groups of college Democrats can one college have? Jesus Christmas. Well, this one's full. Go to the next one. Oh, this one's full too. You better start a third one. So there are three, three groups of college Democrats. Let's let's repeat that. Morris, who is the mayor of delightful little town, Holyoke, Massachusetts, and taught a political science course at the university for several years, was accused by three groups, no less than three groups of college Democrats this week, of having used his position to coerce young students into inappropriate sexual relationships. Kind of like Bill Clinton with Monica Lewinsky, but we're not going to talk about that because then it was okay, now not so much. The group stated their charges against Morris in a letter disinviting him from future events that was report, first reported on the Massachusetts Daily Collegian. 
Morse told the student newspaper that the relationships were consensual and that the University of Massachusetts said in a statement Saturday that it was not aware of the allegations before the college Democrats, all three groups of them, raised them. So the guy's a bit of a chicken hawk. And if you don't know what a chicken hawk is, <laughs> yeah, he, he likes the twinks, right? Why about Malcolm X? A, a chicken hawk, think, um, think in Hollywood terms, think Brian Singer or even better, Kevin Spacey. He likes the young ones. They're all legal, right? I, I actually, when I lived in L.A., I, I knew a guy. I worked in, when I lived there, I, w- I worked in independent film, which everyone does out there, so it's nothing special. But this guy was telling, he's a younger guy, nice guy. Um, we were coworkers, but he told me that because he was young and good looking, and I was not, obviously. But he got invited to one of these parties in the Hollywood Hills, and he described it for me. It was like all these high-end producers and directors and actors and all these other, these queens, these older queens. And it was surrounded by all these like little Twinkies, these little chicken kids or whatever, chicken hawks. You know, the chicken hawks, I don't know what the reverse of a chicken hawk is. I, I, we'll just call them Twinkies. We don't know. But he said he just left because, you know, he's from one of these fancy families. Like he's, he is the white boy Malcolm X of Orange County. So if you white boy Malcolm X were in Orange County, you would be this kid um, who's probably not a kid at this point. But he just said that's that's just the way it is up there. So Alex Morse is a chicken hawk. And, you know, hey, if he likes it, if the kids are, if the kids are into it, whatever, none of my business. But this story is an ongoing story. Listen to this. College Democrat chats reveal year-old plan to engineer and leak Alice Morris accusations. This will sink his campaign, predicted a college Democrat leader hoping to work for Representative Richard Neal. The leadership of the University of Massachusetts Amherst College Democrats began discussing an operation they believed could sink the campaign of Chicken Hawk Alex Morris for Congress as far back as last October, a plan they then helped engineer and which came to fruition on Friday after the college Democrats sent a letter regarding Morris to the Daily Collegian, the school's student newspaper. So they framed the guy. You want to talk about liberals and how nasty and vindictive they are. These And you know these are a bunch of little Gen Z bitchy little queens they wanted to go work for the competition. So this poor chicken hawk, who's 31, he's, I don't know how all these kids are, he's texting 19, 20, whatever. Even if he's texting the 18-year-olds, it's all perfectly legal and whatever. None of my business. And I say, as long as you're not hurting kids or animals, none of my business. So they set him up. And there's this guy here who was the chief strategist for the UMass Amherst College Democrats, Timothy Enos, who was put on a fake profile and was chatting with the chicken hawk who is the mayor of Holyoke, which is a lovely town, Alex Morse. And so they're chatting with him. And so whenever liberals want to complain about anyone else being nasty and vindictive, bitchy little queens, just remember Timothy Enos, who is the head bitchy queen over at the UMass Amherst College campus. Okay, we do have a couple of local stories uh, in addition to our, our, our dear uh, chicken hawk friend, you know, over in Holyoke. So let's go ahead and, and knock these out. Hundreds call to report their neighbors on Rhode Island's social gathering hotline. The hotline manned by Rhode Island State Police had received more than 400 calls as of Sunday. Hundreds of calls have been made to the new Rhode Island hotline set up for people to report people violating the rule against large gatherings. The tattletale hotline manned by... That's all that is. It's just a big tattletale hotline. I'm going to tattle on you. The hotline manned by Rhode Island State Police have received more than 400 calls as of Sunday, Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Barry said. Troopers responded to 56 of the calls and found four events violating the 15-person limit on social gatherings, including a reception after a funeral and a college party, police said. Barry said officers reminded people of the restrictions, don't do that, and asked them to comply. Rhode Island registered one more death from COVID-19 and 176 newly reported positive cases over the weekend, state health officials said Monday. The State Department of Health also said 93 people are currently hospitalized with the virus, the highest total in more than a month. Well, that brings everything into perspective. I thought the state was run by the mafia anyway. What the hell? You know, the mafia, you don't talk. And now it's a, a damn state full of tattletales. Boston University, this is a Boston.com story. 
Boston University adopts profane slogan to get students to follow COVID-19 guidelines. So yes, White Boy Malcolm X, these are COVID stories, but these are also local stories. Their voices are unmistakably clear about how we need to adapt. Boston University asked a group of communication students, who I think other than the, the, the student athletes are the dumbest on campus, for help encouraging their peers to follow the school's strict COVID-19 safety guidelines when they returned to campus for the upcoming semester. What it got back was a slogan that did not mince words. Last week, BU officials filed a trademark application for the slogan, F it won't cut it. And they did not, it was F asterisk CK. So they like writing that word right out there. F it won't cut it. In order to promote public awareness of safe and smart actions and behaviors for college and university students in a COVID-19 environment, the filing first garnered attention after a trademark lawyer flagged it Tuesday morning on the cesspool Twitter. However, school officials are standing by the slogan F-bomb and all. According to a BU spokeswoman, the group of students tested multiple campaign ideas and F it won't cut it was the one that most resonated with their peers. Of course it did. And you think you think society's screwed? Wait till these folks are running the place. Your communications major, uh, which campaign do you like best? And the other's like, oh, which one's got the most vulgarity, the the most profanity in it? That one. We'll vote on the F it. It won't cut it. The campaign was by far the most effective. BU spokeswoman Rachel Lapel told Boston.com in an email, noting that the trademark application they're trademarking this, folks. So get ready for the T-shirts all over Boston. F it won't cut it. Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy clash in heated and personal Senate primary debate. Yes, white boy Malcolm X, Ginger Kennedy. <laughs> what a washed up family. Massachusetts U.S. Senator Edward Markey, who is the, the Tweedledum of, you know, between Tweedledee and Tweedledum, I've got Pocahontas and Ed Markey are my, my senators here. So Ginger Kennedy is off to, 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 to get Ed Markey thrown out of the Senate and he wants to take it. He thinks, well, I'm a, I'm a Kennedy. And so like, uh, it's like my job to like, you know, like, like be in the Senate and stuff. So F it won't cut it, Ginger Kennedy. Massachusetts U.S. Senator Edward Markey and his Democratic primary challenger, U.S. Representative Ginger Kennedy III, jabbed at each other in a heated televised debate Tuesday. The contest was one of the sharpest of the campaign as both candidates wrestled for the upper hand. Well, I, I'm done with this. I, I, who cares about Ginger Kennedy or Ed? Oh, speaking of which, you know, I registered to vote by mail here in Massachusetts, and I checked off Republican box, and I guess they didn't know what to do with that because they sent me the Democratic slip, and there's no phone number. There's nothing you can do. Here's your here's your ballot. This is where this is how you need to vote. And so I could have voted between Ginger Kennedy and you know Tweedledum Markey, and I didn't vote. I just threw the ballot away. I'll, I'll wait till the uh, the general election in the fall. Here's one more from local news story. White boy Malcolm X. Mass bail funds answer criticism over freeing convicted rapist accused of raping again. A bail fund in Massachusetts that's among many nationwide flooded with donations amid the country's reckoning with racism <laughs> is defending itself after freeing people facing serious crimes, including a convicted rapist who has since been charged with a new rape. The Massachusetts Bail Fund said in a statement Wednesday that it bails out people based on financial need, regardless of charge or court history, because it believes pretrial detention is harmful and racist. The Cambridge-based organization, whose motto is free them all, said criticism over its practices only serves to prop up white supremacist institution that studies have shown imposes higher bails on people of color than whites for the same crimes. At a time of mass mobilizations to disrupt the power of policing and systemic racism, using isolated cases to whip up crime and punishment, fear-mongering fits a centuries-old pattern, the Massachusetts Bail Fund said in a lengthy statement posted on its website. We will continue to post bail as we are able, ensuring that the freedom is not just for the wealthy and that presumption of innocence is preserved. The bail fund posted $15,000 for the release of Sean McClinton, a convicted sex offender facing rape charges. Prosecutors say McClinton raped a woman just weeks after his July release. He's back in custody and facing aggravated rape, kidnapping, strangulation, and other new charges. Thank you, Massachusetts Bail Fund. So they let this guy out. And he rapes again, and the first thing they do is to start screaming about racism and about propping up white supremacist institutions and, and trying to break down a you know 
the fear-mongering that fits essential patterns by you know accusing the guy of raping when he raped already and he's raped again. And can you imagine being the rape victim? And the only reason this guy's out of jail is because these people, they only have one song to sing, and it's racist, racist, racist. <sighs> Welcome to Massachusetts, anyway. I'm done with that one. Where are we going next? Okay, I, let's wrap up. I've got a couple of fluff stories here, and I will make this as quick as I know we're running out of time. Chris Evans candidly opens up about motivation for political website running for office. And I'm not reading this. This is from Cinema Blend. I will read the pull quote. It's not that I'm interested in politics. It's more I'm trying to help, and politics to me seems like this weird broken machine that we've all kind of given up on. But the truth is, if we give it a spit shine, this thing might actually work. And that starts with participation and engagement. Again, it's become such a toxic landscape, it breeds this exhaustion. People can't just be bothered. Is he that naive? I, I can't believe, I mean, he's, he's an actor. He's Captain America. I, I don't know if you know all the oars are in the water with this one, but I cannot believe he is that naive to think that with all the corruption in the ruling class that we're just going to give this thing a, a nice spit shine and it's all going to go back to good. No, Chris, it won't. Sorry. Grow up. How old is this guy? He's got to be closing in on 40. You'd think he'd be smarter than that. You know, I, I get it. I get it with the, the little, you know, early 20-somethings, the, the doe-eyed, oh, everything's going to be great in life. But, you know, you get to a certain age, you get to be a bitter bitch like me. This is just, grow up, Chris, grow up. I'm going to make this one quick. New York Post, Leah Ramini slams Tom Cruise, thinks he has master plan for daughter Siri. This is one of those stories where I know enough to wish I really wish I knew nothing. I know, well, obviously I know who Tom Cruise is. I kind of know who she is. But, I man, I wish I had no idea. But, anyway, let me read a couple paragraphs of this. Leah Romini thinks that Tom Cruise is waiting until Siri Cruise, his 14-year-old daughter with ex-wife Katie Holmes, is older so he can indoctrinate her into Scientology. Scientology considers Katie a suppressive person, which is an enemy, and therefore Tom believes, like all Scientologists, that he can't be connected to Siri. Romini, 50, she's 15, she's pulling this crap, told The Post, I'm sure his master plan is to wait until Siri gets older so he can lure her into Scientology and away from her mother. I have a question, White Boy Malcolm X. Do you know if Tom Cruise, like, dated Leah or just, like, did her dirty? Because she is one pissed-off individual. Every time, I have never watched The King of Queens. I have no idea. I've never gone to her IMDb page. I have no idea what she's ever done other than that. But every time I ever see an article about Leah Romini in any newspaper, it's always about Tom Cruise. She's got an axe to grind with him. And so I'm just wondering, did he do her dirty? And she's pissed off. And you know what they say, hell hath no fury like a, like a woman scorned. So she's scorning away there. Last article, and then we're out of here. The Mediterranean diet only works for rich people. <laughs> so the poor, let me, let me translate that for you. The poor are disproportionately affected by not being able to truly live the Mediterranean diet. The quality of foods may be important for health as quantity and frequency of intake. And this is from inverse. This is what you get from them. If you eat mostly fruits, vegetables, grains, carbs, and non-meat proteins, plus a moderate amount of seafood and dairy products, you're following the so-called Mediterranean diet based on the food traditionally eaten by people in the Mediterranean region and you have a reduced risk of heart disease. But there's a major catch, according to a 2017 report on the ongoing Malasani study published in the International Journal of Epidemiology. The health benefits were more often experienced by wealthy eaters because high-quality food in the diet doesn't come cheaply. And I guess this is what depressed, she's now, they now depressed Michelle Obama means when she talks about food deserts. A team of Italian researchers from the Mediterranean Neurological Institute have been working on the Molisani study since 2005, administering questionnaires and performing health tests on more than 18,000 men and women from southern Italy. In this latest report, they explain how the socioeconomic status of the... Okay, I'm done. I am done. We have read enough news. We are done for the day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us for the second edition of the Miller Frost podcast. Me and white boy Malcolm X are going to sign off, and we will see you here again next Sunday. Take care. Peace.